Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, as we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we now come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're talking about the love chapter. Can't think of a better topic to talk about today than when on Father's Day than talking about the love that we should have for one another, not only inside our families, but also in the church. And although this passage is often used to define love in, in intimate relationships like marriage and family, I mean, I've heard it at many weddings. Uh, we use it when we're in Valentine's Day. This normally comes up where we talk about the, how to know what love is between a man and a wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Father, mother, siblings, all that kind of stuff like that. So, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the, it, the Bible applies to all of that, and especially 1 Corinthians 13. But the truth of the matter is, and you know me, context is important. The truth of the matter is, is that if you read this chapter in the context from which Paul was writing this as we have gone through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have seen what has happened in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, it will make even more sense as we go through this, because Paul is telling the church to straighten up and to love each other equally, regardless of what spiritual gifts God has blessed them with. And if you want to see what God is here, you can go back and you read chapter 12, chapter 11, where it talks about God gave the church every Christian spiritual gifts to use for building up the church. And what had happened was there were certain gifts that people were thinking, oh, if they have that gift, then they must be more spiritual than everybody else. And then before you knew it, there was kind of like a hierarchy or a... um a pecking order, so to speak, in the church based on who could do what spiritual gifts. And a lot of it centered around teaching, a lot of it centered around prophecy, and a lot of it centered around speaking in tongues. And we'll go more into speaking in tongues next week in chapter 14. But for today, just know that if you were to speak in tongues or to prophesy or to teach then or have special great faith, then people thought, well, they are very spiritual. And the problem was those people that had those gifts started to believe all of that. And the people that didn't have those gifts, they tried to manufacture that. They tried to to learn how to use those gifts, even though God had not given them that gift. And so basically what you had is what happens in any organization, any family, any group of people, when one thinks they're better than somebody else. How does that go? From the very beginning when you're in kindergarten and you had teacher's pets all the way up until you're working in your job and all of a sudden somebody that just got out of college gets promoted and are making more than you do. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. The Bible says I'm supposed to love that person. Okay, so that's kind of where we're coming to today. So if we truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it will be shown not in what we say, but how we treat them and how we see them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And I just pray as we study this this morning, Lord, that, Lord, you would reveal to our hearts what we can do to show your love through our gifts in this church and in our world, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, the first thing we see as we look at verses 1 through 3 is that the authenticity of your spiritual gifts are demonstrated in your love in others. Look, you can say you love people as long as the day is long, but it does not matter unless they see it in how you treat them. And so we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Read with me if you'd like. Uh, there's a copy of God's Word in the pew for you. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would be a noising gong or clanging cymbal. Now let me just stop for a minute. How many of y'all have heard this passage before? Okay, okay, we have some, some people participating. Yes. Okay, I saw, yes, sister, I saw that hand. Yes, brother, I saw that hand. And I've, again, read this passage, preached this passage, taught this passage, learned this passage. And I think that already in this first verse, we have to, again, take proper context. When we first read this, we kind of think, if someone's a loud mouth, right? If someone is, is bragging or if someone is, thinks they're better than somebody else, that that's the kind of speak that he's talking about. But if you look in the context here, where again it says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, what is he talking about there? He's not waxing eloquently on being, saying nice words out of your mouth. He's saying, if I have the spiritual gift of tongues, is what he's saying in this first verse. So again, this verse, this chapter is wrapped up in these spiritual gifts and showing love. So he says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if such faith I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So in these first three verses, we see a few things. I've already told you about if I could speak all the languages of the earth. He's talking about speaking in tongues. A better application of that would be, if I have the spiritual gift of tongues, but do not love my brother and sisters in Christ, who do not have the gift of tongues, then I am wrong. Again, this is people in the church with spiritual gifts looking down on people, not outside of the church, but inside of the church as less spiritual than them. That is a slippery slope, my friend, when you start judging other people's spiritual walks by yours. Well, then we see that a person who has an actual spiritual gift of speaking in tongues without love for others is actually as annoying as a loud gong or clanging cymbal. Now, I don't like to brag, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. When I was in middle school, I played the trumpet. I know one or two other trumpet players we have in our congregation today. And I'm going to tell you what, I think... I was all the way up to second chair. We might have had three trumpets. I don't know. But those of you that are band geeks, you know what I'm talking about. So I was second chair. And then if the other guy was sick, I made first chair. So first and second chair, they can play the high notes, right? And so I'm telling you, I wasn't, I, you know, it's a humble brag, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not bragging about that. But the thing is, is that if I were to, to rummage around this church or, 
or go to a yard sale, I could probably find a used, well-used trumpet. And if I were brave enough to put my mouth on the mouthpiece, I could pick it up and I could probably make some beautiful music. Because, I mean, middle school wasn't that long ago, right? How many of y'all would like to hear me do a trumpet concert, a trumpet special next week? Y'all are sick. (laughs) Y'all just want to see the show and something to laugh at. You know what it would be like. It would be awful. Now listen, over my time of, of youth ministry, I can't tell you the number of times of middle school orchestra concerts I've been to. And those of you that have children and played in middle school orchestra, you will understand the trials and tribulations by that. But the good thing is, is that when you go see them in middle school orchestra, and then you go see them in high school orchestra, and then I, one of them, they went to college, and then now one of them's in the symphony. So I'm not dissing middle school music programs. I'm just saying, you know yourself, when your child for, or you, you're first starting an instrument, it's tough. It's loud. And so if I were to come up here acting like I was all that in a bag of chips, I don't even think they say that anymore. But if I were to get up there and I were to get this trumpet and try to play, it would be awful. It would be annoying. It would be like this clanging cymbal. And y'all was, y'all would laugh for the first minute and then leave after that. I mean, it would be awful. But folks, that's the, the image that, that Paul is saying here. He says, look, if you think that you were, you are so spiritual because you've got this gift and you don't use it to love others. You are as obnoxious as this dude trying to play trumpet since he's played it in middle school. That's not something we want. You wonder why people are not in churches today. You wonder why Christians and preachers are getting bum raps today. It's because we are trying to show how holy we are, but we're doing it through hateful speech and we're not considering other people. We're not making the gospel at the forefront. We are more worried about our political rights than the freedoms that God has given us. We need to remember that if we have been gifted, we need to use those for love. We see Paul addressing the believers of Corinth who were musing or misusing and misinterpreting the use of tongues to build themselves up over their others. And then he says in verse 2, he lists them right here, things like prophecy and secret plans and the knowledge of faith. You know, he says, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed in all knowledge, if I had such faith, I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be no- do nothing. Paul is quoting the idea that Jesus had in Matthew seventeen twenty that said, if you have faith, you can move mountains. The thing is, if you have the power to move mountains and you don't love one another, you might move a mountain and set it on somebody. You may use your powers for evil. And that's what some people were doing in the church at Corinth. They were using their spiritual gifts and they were harming other believers in the church. To have the gifts of prophecy and godly knowledge and a strong faith, they become irrelevant without tools, irrelevant tools without love. Because here's the thing. Love brings value to everything and everyone it touches. If you love somebody, if you love the people in your church, if you love the people under your roof, if you love the people you work with, you are going to bring value to that relationship. You see, cultural love, the love of the world is imperfect. It's impatient. 
It's unkind, it's envious, it's boastful, it's selfish. It enjoys evil and it tears people down. Many of the church at Corinth were jealous of other people. Why is that? Because they weren't coming to church to worship the Lord. They found their identity in the fact that they went to this church. Remember when we first started 1 Corinthians, they were divided between four different preachers about which church was the best one based on which preacher was the most popular? That never happens today, does it? There were people that were going to their church because it was the church to go to. There were people that were worried about how they dressed when they came to church. They wanted to make sure that people knew how much money they gave. They wanted to make sure that they had as many titles as they could have in the church. And they wanted to be on those top tier committees like personnel and finance and decision making and all that kind of stuff like that. But here's the thing, if God gives us spiritual gifts and we use them without love, spiritual gifts become weapons when not used in love. Spiritual gifts become weapons when not used in love. So here's a life question for you and I. See, Paul is challenging the church with this question. What is your focus of your spiritual gift? Is it self-service or is it channeled in serving and loving others? We spoke last week about the fact that many people just want to say they don't have spiritual gifts so they don't have to worry about that. But I will repeat what I said last week and what God's word says. If you say you do not have any discernible spiritual gifts, you are calling God and his word a liar, period. So he's given you gifts. There's no age expiration on it. So some people try to tear down others in the church to bring them down to their own level. We learned that all the way back in, in elementary school and middle school, didn't we? If you want to make yourself look better, you tear down somebody else is what we think. But it's not the truth. But however, the world needs churches to build people up. We should encourage each other and support each other in faith. And he shows us how to do that here. And, and again, this has been used in many weddings and many Valentine's Day cards. But what we see here is love is not feelings. It is an action. Love is not feelings. It is an action. Paul is not listing abstract concepts here or cliches or euphemisms. He's not saying that, oh, this is just puppy love or this is just, you know, you're going to find your soulmates at church or we're going to be, there's going to be true love. He's not saying all of these things that we put these, these, these sayings on to show that we love somebody. You want to show somebody you love someone, don't call it puppy love. Love them. Show them. Demonstrate it. Husbands, you can tell your wife and your kids all day long that you love them, but if you do not show them, it's wasted words and it's doing more damage than if you would have never said it at all. Same goes for the the wives and the mothers and the fathers. If all we're doing is spewing hate, you know, we'll tell them, hey, oh, Father, I love you. I love you. I love you. But then treat them poorly the rest of the week. We cannot do that. We can't tell people in our church, oh, oh God has blessed our church and, and we, we just love everybody in this community. And we say the good old Baptist thing. You come to our church, we'll just love on you. I don't know if people outside of the church knows what love on you means. And I don't know if they want it. (laughs) That's just something we as Christians say. 
But the truth of the matter is, if we say that we love others when they come in here, they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't dress like us, we better show them love. Because it's not shown in what we say, it's in what we do. Paul is not listing the feelings we have when we give and receive love. He is listing concrete actions. This is how you know what love is. These are concrete actions that will show the love we give and receive. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. He says, and you all have heard this one, most of you, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. So I'm going to give you a very slick tool here. That I've worked very hard to come to get, to, to, to pull up together. And I'm being sarcastic because th- this is no great spiritual tool. This is just the scripture. So if you take the scripture and you put on the left column what is love and you put on the right column what is not love, if you're following along in our Bible app, I'll put this on there so you can see it. But this is just right out of the scripture. If you want to know what your love life is like between you and others in the church. If you want to know if we truly love others at our church, it will make it through this filter because you take whatever you, you're calling love and you put it at the top of this filter, kind of like a, a sifter, sifting flour, and you put your thought of what love is, you put your relationship with your spouse uh, in this, you put your relationship with your children and your church and all those around you, you put this at the top of this and let it filter through and see what it weeds out. It says, what is love? Love is patient. So what is not love? Being impatient. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a moment. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that if you ever are impatient, you don't love somebody. But it does mean if this is a consistent thing, the way you say you show love, but you are not showing them through these things. Look, I understand impatience. You know, everybody takes a little too long to pull out when they're, they're, they're pulling out into the road when you're having somebody riding with you and they say, well, you should have gone. They, you know, they were all the way down there. You had plenty of time. And then other times when you shoom, zoom out, then that's another, you know, why you almost got me hit. That kind of stuff. So, okay, side note, move on. Uh, kind, unkind, not jealous, envious, not boastful, boastful, not proud, proud. You see the pattern here, right? It's right out of the scripture. Not self-seeking. Not easily angered. My friends, if you have a short temper with your people that you say you love, then I would suggest that you reevaluate what that love is. Because if those you say you love are afraid to approach you, they're afraid, they're afraid, you know, look, I'm redheaded. I got a short fuse. I'm not perfect. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. It's something that some of us really have to work on. All of these things are something we have to work on. It's not easily angered. It does not keep records of wrongs. I have no doubt that if I want to know something that happened between Don and I when we were dating at AU, all I have to do is ask her. She's, she's got it categorized. 
She asked me, and it's just like squirrels running in my head. You know, I remember the big things. But, I mean, that's the gift God has given her. God has gifted her with that ability. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's cute, and that's good when you need it. But, my friends, all of us have things that we should forget about and things that we shouldn't hold against the other people that we don't forget about. And we become bitter, and we hold it, and it affects us, and it affects our relationships. If you truly love that person, you are not going to hold on to wrongs, but you're, not, you're going to just throw them out. It doesn't mean, to, well, you know, preacher, I'll forgive that person, but I'll never forget. If you do not forget, then you do not forgive. They're hand in hand. You realize the Bible says God remembers your sin no more. That means all the sins that you confess. Yes, we are white and clean before the Lord. God has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. But it's because he chooses not to remember those sins. So if God chooses not to remember our sins, maybe we should refuse to remember the way people have hurt us. doesn't mean it makes you right. It doesn't mean that you're wrong and the other person was right. That It's not a civil case here. It's just saying, look, if you are still holding on to those things that people did to you that hurt you and you won't let them go, you're letting them live in your life rent free. And it's only hurting you. And it's affecting the way you love others. And then we see that it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love is patient. Another word for that is long-suffering. Folks, Second Peter 3.9 says that God is patient with us. We show love for others by continuing to love them when they don't love us back. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, you know, this is not a, a, a poor me, but I'll just tell you, being in ministry and being uh, on staff, I've been very blessed at this year. Oh, my goodness, I have been so blessed. And so when I share this, it's not something that's happened here, but but some of the... At other places I've been, some of the meanest people that have cut me the deepest have been from the people on the church roll. How is that? How can we be like that? Love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy is not just a little thing. You know, if you say, well, I'm just a little envious of that person, be careful because envy is what drove Cain to kill his brother Abel. Prisons are filled with people that... Committed crimes that started with just a little bit of envy. All of these attributes would go against love and putting yourself before others. Love does not root itself or celebrate sin because true love is based on the truth of the word of God. You cannot take this passage and apply it to love that is outside of God's word. It does not apply. You don't get the benefits of God's love and reject God at the same time. The third thing that we see is that love will make us complete in verses 8 through 12. Verse 8 says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Some translations say, love never fails. I love that. 
Paul is working hard to get the Christians at Corinth to understand that these spiritual gifts are temporary tools to build up the church. And believers, you realize that when we get to heaven, there will be no need for speaking in tongues. There will be no need for prophecy. There will be no need for special faith. All of these things that Paul has laid out, they are gifts to give us while we're on this ball of dirt until God calls us home. And then when we get off of this dirt and then we get into heaven with our Father, our Heavenly Father, then all of those things are no no longer needed because we are with Him. We are made perfect. So he's saying, look, church, you're arguing about things that are not eternal. I've given you these tools for a moment. But one day you're not going to need them. Verse 9 says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. These spiritual gifts that God gives us, they are imperfect. But there again, the time that we live in is imperfect. But my friends, one day, when Jesus comes and returns to bring us to his Father, we will be made perfect. He says, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in the mirror. But when, we'll, when we will see everything with perfect clarity, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But when I know everything completely, just as God knows me Completely. Folks, when we see Jesus face to face, all things will be made clear and complete. You won't have to worry about your social media feed. You will not have to worry about your favorite news program. You will not have to worry about your favorite political pundits. You will not have to worry about your portfolios, your 401ks, and your nest eggs, and your vacations, and all those kind of things. Those things, again, they're not bad things in and of themselves, but when, there are so many people that put their faith and their trust in them, but we don't fully know what it's going to be like. But when Jesus Christ comes back, all will be made complete. And all of these things that we strive for, all of these things that we put before God, all of these things that we use to reject love, we rejected love, we chose to hold on to our selfishness and not love others because of these things, those things will have been passed away. All of us have gone through, if we haven't, we will. Uh, We have gone through old things, especially like if you ever have to clean out your parents' house or something like that. You're going to find things that you wore back when you were younger, like in middle school or whatever. You'll find things that they used to wear and now you look at it and you think, I cannot believe this was my haircut back then. I cannot believe I wore these. I cannot believe all of this stuff. But the thing is, you thought at the time you had to have that pair of jeans. You had to have that look. You had to have that thing. You had to have that tool. You had to do that thing. And it was just, you had to have it at that time. And now it means nothing. And it's in a U-Haul truck going to the landfill. Because it's not eternal. He says... In verse 12, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. And we will see it with perfect clarity. Folks, there will be no need for spiritual gifts when we're in heaven. We will have everything that we need. We will not 
be God, but we will be perfect as he created us. It's, it's a re- Heaven is going to be a return to Eden. We all know what Genesis says, that Gen- Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were tending the garden, and then the, the fruit came, the servant came, and then the curse of sin in chapter 3. You realize in heaven it will be like it was before the fruit was bitten. Adam and Eve were not God. They were created by him, but they enjoyed fellowship with him. And that's the way it will be for us. And then finally, verse 13, love endures forever. Doggone it. Verse 13, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. On this Father's Day, Don and I, we have the opportunity to remember our fathers. However, we're going to gravesides. And I'm not trying to elicit any kind of, oh, poor pastor. I'm not trying to say, I'm just saying when I, not in my notes, but just as I read this. When I sit up there and I look at that nameplate in that mausoleum. And I see Wayne Strickland on there. The first thing that floods my mind is not going to be the times where he disciplined me. The first things coming to my mind are not going to be the ways I let him down. The things that are going to come to my mind is the love that I experienced. The love that he showed me and how he showed me to love others. So it's that kind of stuff is eternal. The other things don't matter. At the end of the day, it's not going to be... What great toys you got your kids. At the end of the day, it's not going to be what school they went to. It's not going to be how hard you worked and how busy you kept them. That's not going to be the thing. Yes, life is busy. and You've got to do what you've got to do for your kids. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the love that you shared with them. Not in speech, but in actions. Reclaim biblical love for yourself. And the church. The church at Corinth was morally corrupt. The sin of culture had crept into their worship and their beliefs. They were confused about what true love is, just like the church is today. Love is not tolerance, folks. Love is not the acceptance of things that God says is wrong. That is not love. That is chicken. That is having no backbone. That doesn't mean that we have to hit people with the truth and tell them how they're wrong. But it does mean we don't have to say, well, you know, whatever they think, let them go with it. If we truly love somebody, if one of you are heading for a cliff, I love you enough to tell you to stop. Or if I have to, I'll jump in front of you. That's what love is. And to just not do that. I cannot preach this passage and say that love is the same definition of what love is being talked about 
in the world today because it is two totally different things. The type of love that is talked about today is self-serving. This is my needs. This is how I identify. This is what I want to do. And you can't tell me what's wrong. It's about me, 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 me. That is not love. That is lust. That is selfishness. And you can put lipstick on a pig and make it look all good and everything, but it's still a pig. Love is loving others regardless of their sins while not approving of their sins. True love is befriending people that are living like you don't believe in things you don't believe. True love is talking with them and, and, and friending them and helping them with things, never condoning what they do, but loving them enough to invest your life in them. Life is not self-serving. At the end of the day, love will remain Fortunately, we don't need to choose between faith, hope, and love. Paul isn't trying to make us choose, but he wants to emphasize the point to Christians. Without love as the motive and the goal, they are gifts that are meaningless distractions. If you love someone, show it with your actions toward them. Even though God has gifted each believer with different spiritual gifts, love is the constant that unites all of us. And I'll close with this verse, 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. My friends, if you are struggling to love yourself, and if you are struggling to love others in the church and outside of the church, it may not be a location problem. It may not be everybody else's problem. It may be your problem that you don't know the Lord like you thought you did because you don't love him. And you don't have a relationship with him. I'm telling you, there are people that are trying to show love in this world in so many different ways, but God is not the source and they come up empty every single time. My friends, this is a message for the church. Let's love one another regardless of those that are up front or those that are in the back that you don't hardly ever see but are there and are faithful. We do that because we love. Love your families. Love your fathers today. Show them. But even more importantly, show them tomorrow and the next day as well. Mothers and everybody else. Let's pray. God, you have called us to love. Lord, you have called us to love each other in the church regardless of what gifts you have given us. There is no one person that is better than anybody else. And Lord, may we continue to be a church that is not pitting ourselves against other churches, other ministries, other people. And Lord, we just love those that are here. And so, Lord, if there is somebody here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, and they don't know that love that you've talked about in this passage, may today be the day. Lord, if there's one person here that would like to walk forward on this Father's Day and talk with me, we would encourage them. We would, we would rejoice with them, Lord. If they just, there's one person here, Lord, that you're pulling at their heart saying on this Father's Day, accept God, your Heavenly Father. Accept Jesus as your Savior. If there's one person today, may they come forward and we'll, we'll take care of it right now, Lord. Maybe you want to come and pray at the altar. Maybe you just want to join the church, get baptized, whatever it may be. It's the time for you to respond. For it's in your name we pray.